if people commit crimes, they need to pay the price. You can't have a $950, hey, get out of jail card free, uh, and, and just go in and willy-nilly steal stuff. This is a real issue in our country for businesses, small and large. Walmart's closed down. Target is closed down in some areas. It's a Neiman Marcus in uh, California that it closed down. This is a real impact, something we have never seen before. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? You stop and you think about it. Mayorkas impeachment, uh, the special election in New York, some of the other investigations. It's just, it's never stopped some of the shootings that have occurred. Valentine's Day. I mean, we kicked a week off with the Super Bowl, went in, went in overtime. So it's been a lot of long week. A lot's gone into the week. Um, we're going to have a great conversation, though, today. Uh, Linda McMahon is here with us. She was the administrator of the Small Business uh, Administration under President Trump for the first couple of years. Then she launched and took started this thing called America First uh, PAC and America First Policy. And they were the outside groups that helped raise money to highlight the president's policies, to get support for him, and to help him uh, as he went up for re-election in 2020. Uh, do some outside advertising and surrogate work, et cetera, like that. Uh, Linda headed all of that. She actually takes a step back and she, and, you know, led and she was the CEO of WWE, the wrestling organization, the foundation, and, and, you know, built that from scratch. And it's interesting when you think about it, like she's heading that she headed the small business committee. She knows exactly what it was like. And we're going to get into that with her. The big difference between the Biden administration and the Trump administration, I think in a lot of cases, is they actually had people who knew what it was like to run a business, to make a payroll, to build something from scratch. Uh, she did that. And now she's leading the America First Policy Institute. She's going to explain a little bit about what that is and why it's important. Uh, and I think the work that they're doing in a lot of areas is critical to a second Trump term. Um, one of the things that I have found fascinating, though, and I don't know if you guys are seeing this everywhere, but like... I live in Virginia, but I go into the city, into DC, you know, maybe once a week. The crime is unreal. The carjackings, the retail theft, and almost every morning on the TV news, you see something. Well, just this week, three cops were shot in DC. Now, I want to show you a clip. This is the mayor's report. It happened on Valentine's Day. Muriel Bowser is the mayor of Washington, DC. She has been a leader in defunding the police, getting rid of these, uh, you know, taking down a lot of the crimes to misdemeanors and getting it away, and has had a very weak response as far as what's happening. You see businesses moving out all the time. But listen to her response when asked about the officers that were shot on Valentine's Day morning. Can you tell us why you didn't go to the shooting this morning, Mayor? Mayor, are you planning to go to the scene at all in Southeast D.C.? You see that. There's no response. She says nothing. Three officers are shot in, in the hospital. A fourth one was injured. And she's headed into a Valentine's Day event. Not my thoughts are with them. My prayers are with them. I'm getting updates. She literally has nothing to say. Nada. This is the problem. We have created a system where, you know, only up to $1,000, it's okay if you just steal. That's, that's not that much. How do you expect to grow a retail business, a clothing store, a, a restaurant? It's hard enough as it is, never mind people coming in and stealing things all the time. 
But this is what's going on in these policies of the left, city after city after city. It's disgusting. Uh, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Delta Rescue. You guys have heard me talk about Delta Rescue before. It was founded by a guy named Leo Grillo. He started rescuing animals. He first one he rescued was a Doberman. And then he founded Delta Rescue. And if you go on deltarescue.org, you can check out the great work they do. Just click on one of the videos. If you're an animal lover, I've rescued three dogs. I know what it's like to, you hear stories about, you know, shelters that can take care of them for this long or that long. Delta Rescue is a no-kill sanctuary, not a shelter, a sanctuary. If they take these dogs in, give them the nutrition, uh, the veterinarian care, and let them roam free. It's amazing what they do. And Leo has done an amazing job of helping to fund this place. And so if you go to deltarescue.org, you can give five, 10, 100, 1,000, whatever you want to support this mission if you're an animal lover. But more importantly, there's a estate planning kit there. If you can help make Delta Rescue an enduring mission, which is what Leo really wants to make this go on forever so that we can keep taking in dogs, cats, horses, other animals that are being neglected and abused and abandoned, please do that. Go download that kit. See if it can be part of your estate planning. Go to deltarescue.org and take it there. So I want to get into this with Linda McMahon. Uh, like I said, I mean, she grew the WWE from nothing into the organization it is now. Decades of wrestlers have gone through this to leading the Small Businesses Administration and now the America First Policy Institute. Let's get in it with Linda McMahon. Linda, always good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Sean. It's fun to be on the show with you. So let me ask you this. When you um, took over as administrator of the Small Business Administration, what kind of were, were the priorities that you set forth uh, under a Trump administration that kind of really helped small businesses grow and allowed people to take out loans and start new businesses? What was it that you and the Trump administration brought to that job that might have been different? Well, I can tell you it was really um, President Trump's policies. It was the fact that he wanted to lower taxes. He wanted to get rid of overburdensome regulations, and we focused on doing that. And it really was successful. I went all over the country. I went to every district office in every state. There were 68 district offices. And I toured small businesses when I was there. I did local press conferences. And I talked to the people on the ground. I said, tell me what will help you. Will the tax cuts help you in your business? And without a doubt, every single one of them said, clearly they would. And what would they do with those tax savings? Reinvest them in their companies, hire more people, uh, and they could expand their businesses. So it really did lead to growth in the economy. And the, you know, the whole process was incredibly successful. How much do you think like your background as somebody who understood what it took to grow a business mattered? Like, could you identify, could you say, yep, I went through that same struggle. I know what it's like to, to comply with all these regulations. Did that help A, just in general and B, with the credibility of, of addressing these small businesses? Well, you know what was interesting? When the president-elect hadn't taken office yet, president-elect Trump asked me to come to Trump Tower, New York, and talk to me about taking over as administrative small business administration he said, I've got a really novel idea. He said, I'd like to have somebody in place that's actually built a business and knows what it's like and can talk to the people on the ground. And when I would 
talk to small business owners and I would say, look, I've been in your shoes. I've been bankrupt. Uh, once I lost everything, lost my home. My car was repossessed in the driveway. I know what it takes to work 24 seven when you're building a business. Uh, I know what it's like to lose it all and then have to rebuild it all. I know the impact of taxes and not only the impact of taxes, but the uncertainty of what taxes you're gonna to have to be dealing with. How can you plan? How can you budget? And how is the regulatory environment going to impact what you're doing? I mean, if you recall, the Trump administration said that for every new regulation you wanted to put in place, you had to get rid of two. And as it turned out, I think we got rid of uh, between eight to 10 regulations for, you know, for everyone that was on the books. And it was just, um, it, it was terrific to see the business environment and the economy just really take off and grow. You know, I, you mentioned the phone call you got from President Trump. I was around Trump Tower for a lot of the, the calls or the meetings. I wasn't for yours. How, how, how did that go down? I mean, did he just pick up the phone and call you or had you guys been in touch? What, what, what was that like? Well, he didn't pick up the phone and call me directly. <laughs> there were there were some folks that I'd been working with. Now, don't forget, I've known him for about twenty five. Well, years. I was going to ask you, how did that? How did I mean? So since we you, weren't uh, since we, you brought it up. Let's take that uh, back then. How how did you get to know him? Well, I got to know him. Um, he actually was a big fan of WWE. He had come <laughs> to some events at Madison Square Garden, uh, and he invited us to um, to join him for Rolling Stones concert in New Jersey. And so we did that uh, and it was just fun. And, and WWE then had two or three of its uh, big pay-per-view events from the casino in Atlantic City. And, um, and uh, Donald Trump was a, a great business partner uh, during, you know, during that time. And we just, we just had a lot of fun together. He appeared on some of the television shows. Uh, and we just had fun doing it and the events were very successful. And uh, then he was involved in a, a Battle of the Billionaires match for uh, WWE, and the the loser of that match uh, had to get his head shaved by the winner of that match. <laughs> and so Donald Trump was represented by a WWE wrestler, and Vince McMahon was represented by a WWE wrestler. And as you can imagine, Donald Trump's wrestler won, and Donald Trump, in the middle of the ring, right then and there, shaved Vince McMahon's head. Uh, so uh, that was the battle of the billionaires. Can you imagine if it had gone the other way? <laughs> I, I don't, there was no chance it was going to go the other way. <laughs> can, can I just ask, uh, what, was that, when you, we, we are joking aside, was that preordained? Was that scripted or, or was it legitimately like those two wrestlers were going at it and you saw who won? Well, you know, WWE is scripted entertainment. What? Yes. So I mean, scripted, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Scripted, scripted entertainment, lots of fun. In fact, the uh, the job description at WWE is to put smiles on people's faces. Well, that I, I imagine. <laughs> I wonder how many people would have smiled if Donald Trump had had his head shaved because I think that would have been. Well, it would have been a now, considering all of the the fun that Jimmy <laughs> Fallon had with with tussling with his hair. Can't imagine what it would have looked like with a buzz cut. Well, I I can tell you that it would have been a costly clause in the contract. <laughs> <clears throat> so had had there had something gone wrong, but nothing was going to go wrong. We we knew that. <laughs> right. So go back to the to the to this post election interaction. Was it uh, something that you sought out? Was it something that his folks or or your your uh, his team reached out to you? Well, I had um, I had I let it be known that I'd be willing to serve 
uh, in the administration if there was a, a role that uh, the president felt would be good for me. And um, when he called uh, the, the folks in my office and asked me to come and have the appointment with him, I didn't know what we were going to talk about. And so when we were, we were sitting there, we were discussing it. He said, look, I really have a job I think would be tailor-made for you. And it would be something that we really, really need to have someone strong in small business administration. He was an incredible supporter of small business. And as a matter of fact, when he was pushing tax cuts and deregulation, I would often fly with him on Air Force One. We would be going to different venues and he would be you know, promoting his tax cuts, et cetera, to different audiences. And he would always single me out and he would say, you know, you know, asked me to stand and, and acknowledge that I was the administrator for his small business administration and that we really did have the backs of small business because after all, they are the backbone of the economy. And I actually learned a, a stat that I didn't know when I took over and that is that over 99%, 99% of the businesses in this country are small businesses. And they contribute about 40% to our overall economy. So it's, it's an amazing, amazing statistic. Hey folks, I've thought about contingency planning for years. I was a graduate of the Naval War College. One of the things that we talked about all the time was what happens when things go wrong. Maybe that's a natural disaster, but what happens when the power goes out in your house for an hour, maybe a day, maybe weeks or months? Will you be ready? Could you power all of the things that you and your family needs, medical devices, electronics, tablets, computers, or even your refrigerator to make sure that you have a food supply. Well, guess what? With the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you wouldn't have to worry about any of that. And it comes with a free solar panel because that's what powers it. You don't need to worry about gas or filling it up or running and hoping that that's all there. Nope, the Patriot Power Generator works just off the solar panels that come with it. If you go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer, you can check out this great, great deal that they have. Fourpatriots.com slash Spicer. You get the Patriot Power Generator, which powers all of those things, a refrigerator, medical devices, all the things that you would need in time of an emergency come with it. And the best part is it's portable. It can run in your house. You can put it in your car. Those are the kind of things that get you ahead of the things that you never want to deal with. Go right now to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer and check out the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. This will be your savior in a time of an emergency. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this in advance of this interview and I was thinking to myself, there's a real difference between someone like you and Trump who's worked for a company, met a payroll, uh, built something from the bottom up, versus Joe Biden, right? Which is, he's never had a private sector job. I mean, the guy literally got elected at 29 years old to the United States Senate and hasn't looked back since. And, and I think that, that that clearly makes a big difference how you approach these businesses, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. And having an understanding of the impact on the economy from small and big business. In fact, the, the other thing that President Trump would say when I was with him uh, he would always ask me, he'd say, Linda, let's uh, let's make sure everybody knows that small business is big business in our country. And and he's so incredibly right about that. And this, I'll be I'll be repetitive in that he fully understood the impact of the value of small business and wanted to make sure that small businesses had the tools that they needed. Uh, you know, we started apprenticeship programs, uh, training programs for labor, making sure that the um 
uh, the district offices around the country had what they needed in order to reach out to the local banks to make lending to small businesses easier. But, you know, it's often thought that small businesses actually make the loans to, I'm, I'm sorry, that the SBA makes loans to small businesses. But in fact, that's not the case. The banks guarantee the loan and, uh, and, and, and the SBA comes in, SBA comes in and guarantees the loan, but the bank actually is the one who says whether or not this is a good risk for SBA. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, little bit, uh, a little bit different than how it's thought. So to work with the local banks to make sure that the local businesses had access to that capital was incredibly important. You know, when you, you mentioned a stat like that, and I, and I think to myself, how many small businesses, well, let me put it to you this way. As somebody who had grown a successful business, when you got to Washington, what were your impressions of, of an agency like the Small Business Administration in the sense of, did you feel that they had the, the understanding of what small businesses actually go through as someone who had been on the other side? Or were you like, these guys have no clue what it takes to actually run a business? It was mixed. I believe that at the district office level, um, all of the directors that were the district office level fully understood because they were meeting with the small businesses. They were helping them you know, access their loans. Um, <clears throat> the offices themselves had you know, former CEOs or uh, other people who'd been in business who met with the entrepreneurs in their areas and would help guide them and develop their business plans and help, help them through the process of making their pitch, if you will, to the banks to, to get their access to capital. So I believe that all of the people on the ground had a real full understanding of what the businesses, the small businesses in their areas were going through. It's a little bit different with the, you know, the bureaucracy in Washington and in the agency offices who are, you know, very tied up every day with, uh, you know, just getting the, the work done and not fully understanding what's going on in the field. It's a little bit like when I was a CEO at WWE, I would, I would often, you know, tell our marketing people and, and those who had other jobs in the company said, get out in the field, go in the stores and see how our product is displayed. If it's a licensed product, go to live events, feel the crowd, understand what's going on. Because if you don't do that, you can't have an appreciation for what the small businesses and those lo local marketplaces were going through. And so it was very, very important to have the local district office very much in touch with the local businesses. Um, what is what was is there anything that shocked you when you got to Washington in terms of how government operates that you thought I, I can't believe that you guys do it this way? Well, if you've come totally from the private sector and you've never been in government before, which was the case with right. me, uh, I was astounded at the bureaucracy. I was astounded at how long it took to get anything done and all the steps that you had to go through that were just really a lot of them unnecessary. So one of the things that we did uh, at SBA was try to shortcut a lot of that process. Uh, I, I'll give you just one example. Uh, for instance, if correspondents came in to me, I, I remember opening up uh, some mail uh, that had come from one of the congressmen and I looked at it and the date on it was like two and a half weeks old. And I asked my admin, I said, how is it that I now have this piece of correspondence on my desk that's two and a half weeks old, and this congressman was asking, you know, a question and wanted a response. 
Well, it has to go through the channels, it has to go through the secretariat office, this, that, and the other, da, da, da. And so I looked at my admin and I said, I want this fixed. I want it fixed today. There are no more than 48 hours if anyone is trying to reach me. And I want that on my desk and ready for action. And I looked at my admin and I said, can you fix this for me? And she said, yes, ma'am, I'm a former gunny sergeant. This <laughs> This will be taken care of immediately, and it was. Well, luckily, <laughs> you had the Marine there. That's what that, they wanted. She wasn't going to take any anything from anybody. No, no. Is is there anything that you've seen the Biden administration undo or go in the other direction that was that has been a huge shift, sea change from Trump? Well, in, are you speaking about relative to the small business? Yeah, yeah, policy just- wise. Well, in, in terms of Small Business Administration, I mean, one of the first things that I thought we needed to do was to make the Trump tax cuts permanent. Yeah. You know, already some of the provisions of the tax cuts are expiring. One of them, which was very beneficial to small businesses, was the fact that you were allowed to write off in total uh, the capital cost of a piece of equipment or, uh, you know, new machines, et cetera, in the year in which they were bought, instead of having to amortize them over the five years, that gave small businesses, and boy, this was farmers who were getting a new combine. Uh, there was a, a, a baker that I visited outside of the Boston area who was buying a big brand new oven. He said, I already have the customers to bake this bread. He, was, he only made bread. He only baked bread. He said, I already have the business lined up. This new oven is going to increase, I forget now, the percentage to his bottom line. He was going to hire new people, et cetera. So being able to write that off in that year made it possible for them to go ahead and expand their business. Well, that has already started to expire by the end of 2023. So now we'll look at partial write-offs for the next three or four years. And so that stops the growth, if you will, of uh, new businesses who want to expand. That's just one example. Yeah. So. Uh, yes, I, I did see that the Biden administration, by not making those tax, tax cuts permanent and the, direct, the regulatory environment permanent, I do think is uh, one of the reasons that you know, the economy has not been as strong. And it clearly was coming back out of COVID when uh, President Biden took over. Uh, you know, one of my big pet peeves is how we are as a country looking at China. Um, I mean, I just I cannot overemphasized in conversations that I have with people what a, what a military and economic threat it is. They are not our friend. They are not looking to do us any favors. And I look at some of the challenges the small businesses are in, meaning that they have, you know, to your point, they, they smaller things to buy, maybe not the big capital things. And China becomes the, the source of where they have to go. What, what can we do, either tax-wise or, or other policy and other policy areas to help take back the supply chain to the Amer- to help Americans build what we're outsourcing to China, or is it is it sort of an insurmountable labor cost that's really what's at this? It's not insurmountable. Clearly, it's not insurmountable. <clears throat> Excuse me. We can um, uh, well. First of all, let's start with uh, the tariffs that were put in place, and I worked closely with Bob Lighthizer. It was the first time that the Small Business Administration had a seat at the table. And, re- and renegotiating uh, the NAFTA contract, you know, and turning it into the USMCA. Yep. So I, I believe that there are there is more manufacturing that can be done in, in Mexico and Canada when it might not be expedient to right away have it within our country because we would have more fit, uh, more favorable 
uh, you know, trade with Mexico and with Canada. And there were some specific things that were put in place with the trade agreements. So they really did help small businesses. And I think we should make sure we continue those. Now, to date, the Biden administration has not, uh, you know, rolled that back. So it's still in place. But I am, I'm, I'm afraid that as they talk about now rolling back tariffs, et cetera, that we will uh, handicap, you know, our small businesses. But when you, you think about the supply chain, that small businesses are, uh, you know, get interrupted because they can't get these products, if they can't get the raw materials, you know, et cetera. We need to, as much as possible, bring that back here to our country. I think we saw that during COVID. Yeah. We just looked at our pharmaceuticals, the, the parts that we had to import, import, you know, from China and how that could affect our security and our health. But to the extent possible, we need to bring that back into this country. Now, when we do that, we have to make sure that we've got the labor supply and the labor sources that we need. And right now, small businesses and big businesses all over the country, one of the biggest complaints that I hear is that there is not enough labor to fulfill the jobs uh, that, that are necessary. And so, you know, we've got to get people back to work. We've got to retrain, reskill a lot of the workers who have been displaced by, uh, you know, not just automation, but technology. Uh, so there are lots of things that we need to do. And President, uh, under the Trump administration, we had started apprentice programs and reskilling and retraining. The Biden administration is trying to roll back now the apprentice programs and saddle them with new regulations by saying that if a company is hiring apprentices, they need to be treated as full-time employees with full-time benefits. Well, what company can afford to bring right. in a workforce and try to train them when they're under the same, you know, that that same cost structure. So that just doesn't make any sense. And you see those kinds of things are just total lack of understanding of how businesses have to work. I also want to talk to you about my friends at Bishop Gold. The economy is nuts. You see the ups and downs of the stock market. One of the things that I did was I made precious metals part of my investment strategy. I called the folks at Bishop Gold, right? So you can call them 844-984-1616, or you can go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and have a conversation with them about maybe an IRA or a 401k or just adding this to your investment strategy. I did this. When I talk to you about products that I use, and I know you get hit up by gold groups all the time, I trust the people at Bishop Gold Group. I sat down, I called them, and had a conversation about what I could do, what made sense for me. And they can either ship it to you, they can hold it for you, they can talk to you about how you can liquidate it at some point if you need to get rid of it. But they will have a conversation about what's best for you and your particular investment strategy. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, and you'll have a special promotion there to begin your journey with precious metals. Trust me, I love these folks. They're great. Bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your investment strategy with precious metals. I remember at one point there was this big move to pay all interns. And I thought, oh, that's great if you're the intern. I, I wouldn't have gotten where I am today without internships and in politics and on campaigns. And it was a sacrifice. I'd go do campaign work or political work or, or Capitol Hill and I, for free, but I would work at night or would do something to get by. Yeah. And that was the trade-off but they didn't have money to pay you. That's why you were an intern. And when this gets back to the, to the whole point of, of what I was asking you about somebody with business experience, that if you don't have it, you don't recognize that. You're like, oh, we're paying these interns. And then the company says, 
great. Now we can't afford it. Exactly. You know, and, and you lose you you lose a lot of young people in those jobs. I mean, uh, what we're what we're seeing a bit of a return to now, and I'm so happy to see it. It's something for you know the past ten to fifteen years that I've been talking about, in that we need our vocational training. Now, I you know I am all for uh, students who can go to college, who can afford to go to college, or who need to go to college for the particular. Um, job that they're going to have, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers, those things that need to have those four years in college. But there are so many jobs today that do not need a four-year college degree. Uh, they can go to a trade school, I mean, plumbers, electricians. I mean, if you pay a plumbing bill lately uh, yes, or yeah. an electrician who comes to your house, and I, one, one time, I, you know, I looked at the labor cost on the bill when I was having a plumber come in. I said, I, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> I need to go back and learn how to be a plumber. Because honestly, they, they do have good, strong wages. And if you have those apprentice programs or even those vocational trainings in our community colleges that are working with industry to find out what they need, how do they skill the labor force to fulfill uh, those jobs that companies already have and the two of them can work together. I mean, there's so much we can do you know, to help fulfill our labor yeah. shortage. And at the same time, have success rates for those who don't need to go to a four-year college or while they're doing their two years or their apprenticeships or their internships, they can go to that night class or whatever and, and work towards their degree or go into business for themselves. There, I think we've just overlooked this and it's, I think, incredibly important that we understand um, how much better a job we can do at with our workforce. I, I want to ask you a, a sort of turn on this uh, in terms of the challenges that small businesses face. I was downtown uh, DC. I, can't, I went into to a store that I, I go to once in a while and I'm talking to the owner of the store and some of the challenges that he faces and blah, blah, blah. And he says to me, I said, so how's crime? And he looks out and he mm. goes, you see there? And it's, you know, uh, 10 yards away. He goes, there was a guy shot there. And I said, oh, my God. And then the, the other gentleman that works with him goes, no, no, not just shot, killed. And I kept thinking to oh. myself, then I wake up and on almost every morning on the D.C. Uh, media area TV in the local news is the, another store about a store closing because of crime. Right. They're, they're not able to handle the, the theft. Uh, there's a Safeway uh, grocery store in this town, and, and on the screen, I'm going to show this, where they've put these sliding doors. You can, it'll be up on the screen here, mm -hmm. where you now have to, to get out of the Safeway after you buy your groceries, you have to put your receipt there. Because crime oh. has become such a problem that they don't want. But let me ask you, I, I, I know that's not a policy change to directly with Biden, but it is. When, when these folks on the left stop treating crime as a problem and stop to start defunding the police, I don't know how a small business that's a retail store, for example, can get by when, when you can go in and just steal the merchandise and walk out. I mean, Sean, isn't it common sense? But, but I mean, how, it how is, but no one stops it. I mean, literally, there, there was a, a CVS that closed down the other day in D.C., um, and like I said, I, this is when I ask these guys, this is the number one thing they bring up and say to me, here's what was here. This place was robbed. This one, I don't feel safe here. This guy got carjacked. And I don't. Yes, it's uh, to me. This is like immigration where I don't understand why we're debating this stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you have I, if you cannot walk down the street in a city 
And, and you look at, you know, New York City, it's not just DC and New York, but it's a lot of these places, Chicago. I don't know if you're a small business trying to get by and you have to in the back of your head, because what I think of sometimes is you smash that window. Yeah, maybe they have insurance, but how many days do they go without operating now because the window's smashed? So they got to replace that. Well, it's, it's just ludicrous. Now, first of all, defunding the police, those policies have made a huge difference. And the fact that they're arrested and let and, and they're immediately let go back on the street, like in New York or in California, where, you know, hey, if you only steal up to 950 bucks, they just let you go. It's okay. $950 to a small yes. business is a lot of money. And it's not just one $950. It's let's 12 people come in and they steal $950. You can't pass that cost on to the consumer. And that's a lot of money right out of the pocket of those small businesses. And they often just have to close up shop and go out of business. Now, that has a negative impact on the economy. You're not employing the people that were in the store. And when you think about that crime rate, who wants to come to work in those stores? They then become afraid that, you know, they're afraid for their safety to come and work at the store. Um, and who's going to protect them? Uh, and then parents who maybe had their high school student who would come and work on weekends or an after-school job, they don't want their children down there working in the stores because they're afraid for the safety. So it's just an incredible, uh, I think that is a lack of policy uh, and, and a change in policy. If people commit crimes, they need to pay the price. You can't have a $950, hey, get out of jail card free uh, and, and just go in and willy-nilly steal stuff. And so it's not only the one-offs, but these gang, uh, these gangs that are coming in now really organize retail theft. Uh, they come in, they just grab and they take and they leave. And what we're finding out in a lot of the cities is there are like a very few number of these gangs that are doing repetitive stealing. Uh, they're very hard to catch. And uh, this, is a, this is a real issue in our country for businesses, small and large. I mean, look at you know, some of the, um, the larger sources, as you mentioned, who have closed and Walmart's closed down. Target is closed down in some areas. Uh, in some of the, I think there's a Neiman Marcus in uh, California that it closed down. Uh, so this is a real impact, something we have never seen no. before. You know, there was always shoplifting. There's always shrinkage, if you will. And I remember uh, one of my um, first jobs, uh, you know, just when I was in high school, just a teenager, uh, was working in a, um, a grocery store. I was a, a cash register clerk. And one of the things we really had to keep an eye on was you know, you, you'd watch for the person that would come in the front door and they'd go over and they would, you know, slip a bottle of pop in their jacket or that sort of thing. And so you, that was small. And you accounted for some of that. You didn't want to let it happen and you tried to prevent it. But the amount of money that is just being lost by these, by these stores today, I, I saw a stat the other day, I think it was $112 billion of what's called shrinkage from our, our retail store, and I think about 112 billion. Now, shrinkage can mean that, um, you know, it's uh, some, uh, you know, product that's, um, you know, damaged when it comes in, but it also relates to inventory that is stolen off the trucks or the trains before it even gets to the store, or it's also the, the amount of inventory that is stolen or the goods that are stolen right out of the store. $112 billion loss. And it's just, we, we have to do something about that. Uh, the laws have to be enforced. We have to have prosecutors with spine. 
We have to have the police force that is supported and properly staffed so that they can arrest and know that if they make uh, an arrest and bring someone in, that that person's going to have to pay the price for that and be accountable, whether it's serving time, whatever it is, we have to get back to making sure that our laws have teeth and our prosecutors have, have the spine to do it and that they back up our police. Absolutely. I, I want to switch gears for a second. You talked about, we talked about you coming into the administration. After you left the administration, you, you led uh, America First Action, America First PAC uh, to help the president get reelected, help advance his policies through advertising. You were kind enough to take pity on a young former press secretary uh, and, and, <laughs> and have me join this. But then after that, you helped found AFPI, America First Policy Institute, what are you guys doing? What What would you tell people are your goals uh, as far as what AFPI is seeking to accomplish before, uh, hopefully, a, a next Trump administration? So let me give you a little history about the founding of AFPI. The, the president CEO, Brooke Rollins, was uh, President, Trump, President Trump's national policy director. And, and she worked very closely with him in the White House. And we really, really all had anticipated another term for President uh, Trump. And so the policies that had been laid out for his second term were, you know, really robust. A lot of them continuing what we were already doing, but, um, you know, just increasing uh, some of the other policies and, and looking at things differently, all, all which have been wonderful, I think, for the country. But that didn't happen. But these policies were in place. And now we just couldn't let them go to waste. And so Brooke Rollins and, and Larry Kudlow and Robert O'Brien, who were all right there in the White House, really started looking at this and, and talking with Jerry Kushner and saying, okay, what can we do now to make sure that we can continue with these policies, develop new policies, making sure that uh, Congress uh, has uh, the, the research, the white papers that they need uh, to, to help them as they're drafting legislation, and not only the U.S. Congress, but also state and local governments. How can we be helpful and beneficial to them? And, um, and, and Brooke called me and we talked about my coming in and serving as chair. Uh, I was so delighted to do this. And so what we've seen with AFPI, America First Policy Institute, and now the sister organization, America First Works, is that we are able to, through our uh, 22 centers, which have been uh, developed, Centers for Energy, Centers for Education, Center for Small Business and uh, the American Worker, Center for the American Dream and American Prosperity. You can see, and we're very uh, happy to have you look online at AmericaFirstPolicy.com to see all of the policies that are being developed. And, and the messaging then that is helpful uh, for Congress to help push through those policies. If you look down there, just take the Education Center. We developed a toolkit for parents who could download this toolkit and understand how they could be more involved in their local school boards, how they could run for school board, how do they could impact education, you know, in their areas. We, we have our, you know, deep, the Center for uh, Energy. Well, what's going on now with, uh, you know, no drilling? What, what policies need to be in place and how can we help push those in the local environment? So we are providing all of that backdrop uh, for, um, you know, for different centers and different aspects of the economy and for governance all over the country. 
And we, we are really being able to have a great impact. We have a whole center on election integrity for training uh, poll watchers. You know, these are the policies that are in place. We, you know, we're not, we're not a political arm uh, and, and we're not endorsing uh, particular candidates, but these are the policies and the rules and regulations that need to govern, and they're, they're conservative policies for sure, uh, but they, they do need to govern both locally and nationally to help, um, to help our country continue to grow and to be successful. Just real quick, do you, is there, is the goal to sort of hand that off to, you know, a, a next Republican uh, administration and say, guys, here, here's sort of uh, a basket of policies that you can, or as the Romney folks would say, a binder of policies that you can go through that are ready day one? That That is the goal. And to help draft um, executive orders that would be ready for a new president on day one. And also working to not only have policies ready in, in 2024 as the elections, you know, go forth and making sure our elections, you know, do have integrity and that every single legitimate vote counts, but also ready to govern in 2025. So looking at all the different government agencies and working, we have over 500 volunteers. In fact, I think it's way more numbers than that now who have like been in these agencies who are sitting and working with our groups at AFPI to say, okay, this is a great structure for this agency. Perhaps uh, we could slim this down. Maybe you need to add a couple of people over here. Now we're not, we're not writing names in as to who should be there for these particular jobs. But it's really the structure and the organization of the different agencies that are within government so that uh, when the next president is elected and um, he begins to look at then the names of the people he wants to fill in that will understand the structure. And that's just something that we've never you know, really had before ready to hand yeah. that off. Uh, it'll just put us so far ahead of the curve uh, in, in the successful transition. of Absolutely. Uh, Linda, always appreciate your time and what you're doing. You continue to serve in so many great ways. And, uh, and, and you don't have to, frankly, you've been extremely successful, but I, I just, what you do to continue to give back and to advance the cause is so appreciated. So thank you for being with us and everything you continue to do. Thank you, Sean, for having me. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It really is interesting, isn't it? That the people that you bring in matter. It's, I, I made fun of Biden at one point when he's doing his cabinet at all because it's all identity politics, right? That There was no experience required. Pete Buttigieg, head of the transportation uh, department. When he was mayor of South Bend, Indiana, I wrote this in my book, Radical Nation, 66 buses that he oversaw. You wonder why on every front there's a problem, right? Highways, seaways. There's nothing going well in Pete Buttigieg's wheelhouse because you appointed a guy who was LGBTQ and Q and young, and that was your qualification. That's what you get. When you get Linda McMahon, you get somebody who understands how to run a business. Small businesses thrive, more people go to work, right? Because she gets it. Dennis McDonough chose to head the Veterans Affairs Administration. Has he ever served? No. Is he a doctor that might be able to help reform healthcare delivery? No. What's his qualification? He was White House Chief of Staff under Obama. Oh, so let's take care of him. There's a big difference in how these administrations staff themselves, and I think that's important. <laughs> the work that AFPI is doing, by the way, and Linda mentioned it, if you go to AmericaFirstPolicy.com, you can see their work. I was there day one. I know how important it is to have 
the ideas, the policies, the resources, and they are basically handing everything over with a bow. Does that mean that Trump will do everything? No, but it gives them a head start. It gives them things to choose from. And it's critical what they're doing in terms of policies and staffings. Next week, by the way, we've got Newt Gingrich on tap. He, the speaker that led the revolution in 1994, is going to tell us what it's going to take to get it back, to stay in the majority, what policies, what hindrances, how Mike Johnson, the speaker, can navigate these things. So have a great weekend. And by the way, South Carolina's primary is a week from tomorrow, a week from tomorrow on Saturday. And I think that will be the end officially of Nikki Haley. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Continue to subscribe and share. Spread the love. We'll see you back here on Monday on The Sean Spicer Show.